0: Mac Power Users, episode 602. Was that a rabbit hole? Welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I am good, David. How is the West Coast? Hanging in there?
1: Yeah, we're doing great. We're doing great. I know our friends up in Northern California are dealing with heat and fires. Southern California has been kind of just as it usually is around this time of year. Good. So we're all good. And, um, you know, I don't know, living life. What else can I say? <laughs> now, another feedback show, though. And that's good because I've got some topics that I've been wanting to cover on the show, don't really merit a full show. Um, Microsoft released a really cool product that allow you to run a, a Windows computer virtually on a Mac, which I think a lot of people are interested in. And we got some coverage on that today and a bunch of good feedback from listeners. This will be a good one.
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh, before we get into that, we uh, each kind of have some updates. We just wanted to give people about what we're up to.
1: Yeah, um, I guess let's start. Uh, both Max Barkey and 512 Pixels got redesigns yeah how did that happen i We didn't talk about it.
0: It's just like <laughs> <laughs> it just it just happened yeah, so you launched yours before I did um I really love what you've done with yours you've you've gotten rid of the sidebar, which is really hard to do, so you're in this like beautiful yeah. single column uh layout. it looks really nice
1: squarespace you know yeah, man the the occasional sponsor of mac Power users mm-hmm. i uh, I wrote them some emails and I wanted to simplify things, and and I have heard from all the listeners that love it and hate it, but that's what it is now, and uh, <laughs> I'm pretty happy.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like it. Uh, my site, uh, this redesign has actually been in the works for months. This has been really slow, kind of, as I get time to work on it. Yeah. Uh, our friend Rosemary Orchard did some work on it. Uh, another friend of mine, uh, William Harding, from the internet, he lives in Australia, so we have like one hour overlap where we can email each other. <laughs>
1: <laughs> where we where we get it? Well, you can email anytime, but yeah, you but know. Well, you
0: know, if you want a response, or if you're talking on like GitHub or something, not a lot yeah. of yeah. Uh, time. Uh, and so, yeah, so it it too has a redesign. It kept its sidebar, but um, new navigation was my main thing, and the ability to show subpages in my nav was important to me, and refresh the type, and just kind of a not so much a full redesign as maybe a, a tune up, and I'm uh, I'm really happy with it.
1: Yeah. I really like the typography in the sidebar because it really kind of resonates with me as an old Mac user. I, yeah. I just <laughs> love the way you did it. And Thank you. I think it's totally on par and it just looks great. It's, like I did the opposite with mine. I was trying to get rid of menu items uh, from the selection. So like, if you want to look at the field guides, you don't just get a long list. It goes to a separate page, but um, it is really, uh, it's fun kind of doing this stuff. And The, uh, and just seeing how it goes. And, you know, we work so hard on making content for these sites. We, you know, you want it to look pretty and you want people to enjoy the experience. Yeah, that's right. So So, so good job.
0: Thank you. Yeah. The typeface is actually from, uh, Aaron Draplin, who is a, uh, a graphic designer. Actually my, my favorite graphic designer. I have a poster he did on my wall. I've got his book. Uh, and you may know his name because he, he does a lot of the stuff with the field notes. Uh he's yeah. sort of partners with uh Kudol and those and those folks. So uh yeah, so he didn't he had a new typeface available for the web. And so I licensed that and uh yeah, very happy with the uh, the new look.
1: And I, I almost hesitate to say this on the show because I know what's gonna happen, but I'm still nailing down the body font on my website. It's like I've tried several and if you pay real close attention to my website, it seems like it changes every four or five days. But, um, I'm gonna get there. I definitely want a sans serif, but I don't know which yeah. one yet, and please i I know, I know I know how you feel about this if you're listening, but don't don't do it
0: it's it's hard to uh it's hard to pick one. I changed mine yeah. for the first time. I think since five twelve pixels has been five twelve pixels. I think it's the first time I've changed the body font in like 10 years or something. And yeah, it feels like, uh, it feels like a big deal to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a few other things going on as the world opens up a little bit, I am speaking, uh, for the first time since all this began at, and I'm going to be speaking in the end of September in Orlando. It's a great conference put on, um, by uh, some friends of mine that talk about the uh, Mac and technology and the practice of law. Um, and the, uh, so it's called MacTrack Legal. If you go to MacTrackLegal.com, it's September 24th and 25th. There's a bunch of Mac using attorneys and uh, legal professionals there. I'm going to be talking about how I use uh, personal knowledge management and PKM in the practice of law. That's my little bit. My wife played an essential role in me speaking at this. She's like, wait, it's at Disney World? Okay. You should really do it. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm doing that. And uh, if you're going to be attending, I look forward to seeing you.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, lastly, but definitely not leastly, I really messed that up. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, it's okay. We'll go. Yeah.
0: It. It's it's almost September. Every September Relay FM raises money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about that once we get kind of into September, but I wanted people to put the date on their calendar, uh, Friday, September 17th. That is, uh, going to be the third annual podcast a thon. We're going to be running 12 to 8 p.m. Eastern, so a full eight hours this time. It'll be the longest one yet. And I, I don't want to spoil anything, but gang, I am so excited about some of the stuff we have planned uh for this show this year. So like previous years, it will be live on Twitch on the Relay FM Twitch channel. Uh we will post the full thing to YouTube. Usually that takes a couple of days to get the video processed because eight hours of video takes a long time <laughs> to process and upload. Uh and then we'll also be releasing the audio on the Departures feed on the Relay website. But watching it live is where it's at. Uh, the campaign kind of officially kicks off in September, but if you want to get an early start on on a donation, there's a link in the uh, in the show notes. And you know, St. Jude treats kids from all over the world with uh, cancer and other just terrible situations, and it means that the world to so many families, including my own, that those families are those kids are treated without their parents receiving a, a bill. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's amazing it's a miracle and it's it's a miracle made possible by people around the world like you and I donating to keep it going and so uh check that out we'd love to have you join us for for the podcastathon it's going to be a wild wild friday
1: i can't wait i can't wait
0: let's just say that i have purchased a jacket that is silver and covered in sequins for one
1: second nice that, that is so on brand for you. I, I, I'm surprised you didn't already <laughs> own one. i surprised I didn't already
0: have one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's that's sort of our kind of uh, our updates. Uh, you know, we don't get a chance very often to talk about what we're doing, but thought it would be fun to do so today.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, for more power users today, I am still struggling to vlog and record video. I am going to have a session with Steven. So we're going to have an intervention again.
0: I today, feel a little so. responsible for this since I told you a gear to get.
1: Yeah, but um anyway, <laughs> look, just wait and uh okay. you are not entirely at fault, but you know, we have uh we have issues. Okay. Feedback. Uh I got an email from Rhiannon, and I hope I pronounce your name as she described herself an 87-year-old Granny Mac user since 1985. And as soon as I saw the that introductory uh, line, I'm like she's going to the top of the next feedback. It is only, not only do I hope I'm still sucking air when I'm 87, I hope I'm still super engaged in Apple technology. And I hope Apple's still around, you know, <laughs> who knows, right? But either way, uh, Rhiannon uh, was, wrote in with some, some thoughts about how she uses her Mac. She loves stickies. She uses it for her contacts, and she collects a lot of quotes from books, like when she reads books and she has a quote she likes, she writes it down there. And um, she is going to buy Apple Silicon. She's just waiting. And uh, she concluded saying she likes our banter, even though we are American, which I thought was pretty great. Um, but, <laughs> I'll uh, take it. But, Thank you. <laughs> but, but she also had a question. She said, Look, I have all these quotes. And what I want to do is have them float on my screen. You know, I want to have the quotes appear on the screen of my Mac so I can see them as I get through the day. And I thought, well, that's that's a fun question, and I had a couple ideas for answers. I don't know if you've got any to add in, and listeners, if you do, please add it in at the uh, at the forums. But uh, the first one I thought would be would be to do the the screensaver, and there used to be a quote screensaver, and when I went to my Mac to check on it, it was gone. I don't know at what point it went away. But Apple took that out. So there's not a built-in quote screensaver, but there is a message screensaver on your Mac. And you can go in there and type in anything you want, including your favorite quote. And then when your Mac goes to sleep or you hit a keyboard combination or a hot corner to put it to sleep, on. you can have that quote floating on your screen. There also used to be an RSS screensaver, which is also not on my, you know, factory Mac. And I guess they took that away too. But I was thinking that'd be cool if there was like a source of quotes that she likes. She could have it subscribe via the RSS and then have different ones show up without her really doing any work. But uh, that was an option that, that kind of disappeared on me. So then I went looking in the app store and there were some really terrible apps uh i bought several of them the one that i would recommend and it's not great but it, it does what she asked for it's called desktop quotes app and it's just a dollar it's 99 cents so it's not not too expensive and you load it up and you can type in multiple quotes or it even has a quote library when you get it and it puts a quote on your desktop so this is different from a screensaver which only appears when you put to sleep these quotes would be on your desktop the whole day um, it, doesn't do it very attractively though. It just kind of takes your existing wallpaper and writes the quote in white on top in the upper left corner, which isn't great, but it does kind of solve the problem she's asking for. Uh, but that's as far as I could get Rhiannon to, to answer your question. I don't know, Stephen, you got any ideas on this?
0: Yeah, I went on a, a similar hunt when I uh, I saw this feedback in the document and I found basically this application <laughs> and yeah. then some people in the forum, there was a forum post from a while back and someone has suggested using geek tool, but I think that's uh, probably not the easiest route to go. And I don't even think it's yeah. like super up to date anymore. So I would try this app. It seems like this is a little bit of a, a, a limited um, market. The only yeah. other thing I sort of thought of was if you've got some, uh, like an image editor, like pixel or something, and you could, basically bring in like basically make wallpapers and then have macOS cycle through them like putting them all in a folder or put them all in a photos album but uh you know that that you're that involves making images which is you know another step unfortunately i don't yeah. think there's a great way to do this
1: no there really isn't um but it, it is an interesting problem and thanks for sharing it Renan. Uh, Robert wrote in, uh, taking us to task on ScreenFlow. And this one, I think, was aimed at me because we talked about screen capture recently. And then I think at the end of our discussion, when we went through all the various ways you can screen capture with Mac OS, I said, also, there's an app called ScreenFlow, if you'd like that. And I didn't go into the details. Well, Robert says that's not good enough. <laughs> uh, to quote him, I find it one of the most useful apps on my machine, I use it the way I suspect many, most owners do in the short term for short term memory. When you need to remember something, just take a snapshot with screen float and the information floats on your screen until you no longer need it. Wait a second. Maybe this could solve the quote problem. There you go. Anyway, um, you know, like he does it with error messages that shows up with some program. He's writing the price of a room in motels. And the thing about ScreenFlow is it stays on top. It floats above. And I I didn't say that's like the killer feature of the application. Or he says he even uses a random junk that he needs to have saved. And he says, I love the app so much I have it trouble being placed on the heap of boring screen capture utilities. Well, thank mm-hmm. you, Robert. We have given ScreenFlow the, uh, the attention it deserves on Mac Power Users. That's and right. And I would I would agree with him. The reason I that was the only one I mentioned is a third party one because I think it's the best third party one. And if you find that the screen capture tools you get with macOS aren't enough for you, ScreenFlow is probably where you should land.
0: Yeah, I, I like this feature that whatever you captured is in your vision until you like need to get rid of it. Right? We've all been yeah. in a situation where like you have like a web window and like you slam it way up in the upper right hand corner so you can like just see the paragraph of text you need. Or you're like copying and pasting something you don't really need, but you, so you stick it in a sticky or an Apple note or something. This sort of gets around all of those little hacks that most of us do. I think it's I think it's pretty clever.
1: Yeah, GW wrote in, and his question is, "What is open source?" He's like, "You guys talk about open source, but I don't really understand it. It, it seems if it's open to me, it seems that it's unsafe." I was going to download LibreOffice for my Mac. A lot like this software I use Windows at work, and I really do like working across the uh, Mm -hmm. the Access database that I create. I wish FileMaker was still being made by Apple. Um, uh, That was such a nice database program. But what about open source? And um, I think we do throw the term around without really ever explaining it. So maybe we should go deep on open source.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a complicated subject, and different people have different feelings. Um, Someone try to kind of cover. I think both extremes as far as the opinions on it. Uh, I will say, FileMaker is still around. Uh, Bento is gone, though, which was like an eye work kind of style. Yeah, I think that's what he was referring to.
1: Man, Bento yeah. was
0: cool. Um, yeah, it makes me sad that it's gone, and there's really nothing that ever kind of took its place in my mind. So, yeah. uh, the the basic definition of uh, open source software, and it can be a full application or a suite of applications like the LibreOffice. Or it can be something as simple as like a a little utility. Or uh, if you use Alfred and you download plugins, a lot of those are open source. And what open source means is that its code base is hosted online where people can see it. Maybe the most famous example right now in the Mac world is NetNewsWire. Brent Simmons and his team have made that open source. And they... So they let people see the code. You can see, you know, if you understand what you're looking at, which I don't, I'm not a developer, but they can see what the code base contains and what it's doing. Past that, what quote open source means is a pretty wide field. So some projects are open source, but are still developed by one or two people. So maybe it's like that Alfred plugin that you know you downloaded that does this clever thing. Maybe only one or two people work on that, but you could download the code you want and tinker with it, or you know, adapt it into your own that sort of thing. Other open source projects, like parts of Linux, uh, LibreOffice, I think is this way. NetNewsWire is this way. It may have larger teams of collaborators, and usually you have a group of people or a single person. Who's kind of in charge? Who has the vision? Who has the final yes or no about features or what bugs to fix and what order that sort of thing? But you have multiple developers working on this project. You know, usually in their spare time. And what the what these two kind of extremes allow is uh, for other people to see what's going on and potentially contribute to it. Some people fear that open source applications are not as secure as something written by a private developer or team. I think the thought here is, well, if the code is publicly available, then maybe it's easier to find a way you could exploit it and make it not as secure. And then on the other end, you have fear that closed source software, so uh, something like um, I'm kind of looking at my Mac, something like crash pages, yeah pages, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a so a, a software application written by a team or a company or even an individual where the code base is not public. Other people fear that that isn't as secure because the public can't walk in and they can't quote audit the code for security issues, as with all things, uh the middle ground is probably the right place to be. And there's open source software that I use and there's, you know, for some things and for other things I don't. And it's a matter of finding what works for you and your needs. You know, so if I download an Alfred plugin off, you know, GitHub and I could see all the code, like, I don't, that doesn't concern me. Um, uh, you know, even something running something like LibreOffice, which is really big and well known, especially in the Linux community. Yeah, it's probably just fine to run. Uh, But you just need to go in with your eyes open that it is a different style of software development than something like Finder or Pages or Microsoft Word or something like that that is built by a team or a company not necessarily out in the open. Now, Apple itself is in the open source community. So Swift, the Swift programming language, is open source in the sense that Apple controls it But they have this community of people around it commenting and suggesting fixes. Uh, The kernel of Mac OS X used to be open source. Uh, The Darwin kernel and a lot of low-level Mac stuff was open source in the early days. Apple has really pulled back from that over the years on the system software side. So even Apple has been in this world.
1: Yeah, and one thing I would want to address is that you should not be afraid of it with open source, I think a lot of people are afraid. Well, if it's open source, then anybody can go in and inject code, and then you know bad actors are going to put something malicious in LibreOffice, and it doesn't work that way. If you want to make changes to LibreOffice, it goes through a filter, and a lot of smart people look at it before it actually gets included in the build. And um, so th- I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, to answer GW's specific question, I've used LibreOffice in the past. I think a lot of people do. I think you're probably fine with LibreOffice. But the, uh, but you know, it is open source can mean many things. And a lot of times, open source also means components of software, like a building block of software, like the stuff with Swift programming languages, Stephen was talking about. And um, when you get down to it, a lot of software includes some component of open source, even though it's sold commercially. So, you know, hopefully that's helpful. (laughs) <laughs> it's everywhere. But I mean, when you look at a, a declared open source project like LibreOffice, I think if it's a big project, I think you're probably fine. And, um, you know, good luck. Yeah. I, hope it, I hope it works. For you. I mean, the question with LibreOffice always is, in addition to being open source, is it like an app that you want to use and does it have the features you want? And mm-hmm. is the user, user interface acceptable to you and things like that? So sure, it's a whole different question. Okay, similar uh, question we got in from Mike saying, David, what is end to end encryption? Um, You know, we've been talking about it um, lately, and this actually came up on the forums. Um, I was talking about how I use end to end encryption with my Obsidian installation. And then uh, I think a lot of people don't really know what that means. You know, what is end to end encryption? And uh, so I'm going to try to address it as best as I can. I'm not a security expert, and you don't need to email me if you are. Uh, write a blog post and send it to us if if you know there's if you want to explain it better. But the um you know there's different types of encryption with your data. Two of the major categories are your data when it's in motion or in transit or when it's at rest. And like because so much of the stuff we do these days gets up on internet servers, you want to you know look at is the data encrypted while it's moving because that's one of the key places things get intercepted like when you go to the starbucks and you use the public wi-fi that's where they sniff out the the traffic when you send your email credentials to your email provider if they capture that then they get your email and all sorts of problems and that's data in transit but then you've also got the issue of your data at rest you know when you put it on a server like the iCloud servers Uh, the data you put on an iCloud server largely is not end-to-end encrypted. There are exceptions like messages, but um, when you store data on iCloud, it's there. That's why uh, Apple, when it gets a subpoena from the government, has to turn over all the iCloud data on the people they get subpoenaed for. Uh, So that is not end-to-end encrypted. So the question for end-to-end encryption is can you encrypt it from the moment it leaves your computer to the moment it arrives at a destination and that's usually thought about in terms of communications and historically that has not been something large tech companies do that be something that the NSA and the government does but for consumer data storage and cloud services end-to-end has not been really an option but it's starting to show up and one of the best examples is the Messages app on Apple where they encrypt it both in transit, at rest, and then at the other end. And one of the nice things about Messages is that I don't think they really need to store a lot. They're just delivering a message. So they've been able to encrypt your Messages traffic in a way that it is encrypted from the moment it leaves your uh, your device to the moment it arrives at the other. Like this week, I was giving Steven advice on more stuff to buy for his desk. Mm-hmm. And that yes, was were. very that was a very secure communication you that's know? right <laughs> <laughs> you know? but the um, but you know so that's great that that's starting to come I in general am a fan of protecting people's privacy and I understand there are really good reasons for exceptions on that and uh, in fact this week in the news Apple has this csam thing and I I don't have my arms around it enough yet to really talk about it on the show so I'm not we're gonna pass on that today but there are good reasons for exceptions but In general, privacy equals good. Data storage services like iCloud largely are not end-to-end encrypted. And most companies, there's a lot of reasons for this. I mean, some companies need to access the data on the servers in order to give you better services. Like, you know, kind of Google's famous for being really good at scrubbing server data and returning services to the user. And that's why when you you know, type in Stormtrooper on your Google Docs uh, or Google Photos files, it'll find a picture of a Stormtrooper because it can look at all your images and figure it out for you. And a lot of people like those additional services. So the first question is, do do people even want end-to-end encryption for all their data? Because they may want the services that they get from having things on a server. And also there's just, you know, um, government regulation concerns. Like, can you comply with government regulation while locking yourself out of your user data? Where you can, you know, when they subpoena, you can say, "I'm sorry, I can't. I don't have the ability to see it because we right. made we built encryption so good into the system that we don't even have the ability to look at our user data."
0: Yeah, yeah, because they don't have the the key to decrypt it. And yeah, uh, and so you know, at that in that situation, say that it's Apple. Apple say, "Well, we just have this blob of data." and we know nothing about it nothing what's in it because it's completely encrypted and the keys are not with us and uh, obviously from a privacy perspective that's what you want
1: but there's other problems there's a convenience problem i mean there's a lot of people that are pretty lackadaisical about retaining their passwords you know they don't listen to us and use apple's password service or one password or whatever and they lose access to their own devices and they're counting on Apple being able to reset the device for them and get them their iCloud data back. And with an end-to-end encryption situation, Apple would say, I'm sorry, all your photos are gone. And that's, that's a problem too. So it's like, there's all these competing interests and I don't know where this all ends up. I think Apple is headed towards making iCloud at least offered as an end-to-end encryption storage. Cause Apple, of all the big tech companies, seems to be the one that's most serious about uh, mm-hmm. user privacy. And I think they look at it as a selling point. But I also think they kind of take it uh, from a moral standpoint. They really don't want to be, uh, they really want their users to have privacy. And so I think that may be coming down the road. I think that may be one of the reasons why they made these recent moves with CSAM is they're they're finding ways to deal with the edge cases before they announce, a. A uh, end-to-end encryption solution for iCloud. But that's just me guessing. I don't have any information on that. Where do we use end-to-end encryption? I use it in Obsidian. The uh, The reason is they built an end-to-end encryption solution into their software. It's You know, developers of Obsidian are pretty clever about this stuff, and they have their own syncing platform. So I don't need to use Dropbox or iCloud. I can use it theirs. And the way it is, I build my own key, and that way they can't see my data on their server. And that's the reason large, one of the main reasons, not the only reason, but one of the main reasons why Obsidian stood out to me in comparison to apps like Craft and Room Research, because they didn't have that kind of solution. And I want to take notes on stuff I'm doing for clients, and I'd I'd prefer that be end-to-end encrypted.
0: Yeah. Uh, I use it in uh, in day one. Uh Yeah. And it's the same type deal where you can uh, create you basically create your key and if you lose that encryption key, you need to some sort of uh, uh, basically you got to save the key. Uh, if the key is lost, your your data is gone because it's a private key. you don't you don't hand that over to day one or to obsidian. It's up to you to keep that safe. And it's something like iCloud or or with messages. Uh, The keys are kind of generated automatically by your device itself, and it's a sub a little bit differently. But a lot of these applications that offer it now, you've got to keep the key uh, yourself, which is usually, you know, just like a string of numbers and digits, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. And we, like, for instance, day one got purchased by Automatic in the last few months. Yeah and a lot of people got worried and people wrote me saying, "Well, should I trust them anymore?" I'm like, "If you have end-to-end encryption on, you don't have to trust them because it doesn't matter if automatic bought them or whoever bought them, they're not going to get the data cuz you have the key." And so Day One is another great example. Devonthink is also another example where you can write in your own security key and that encrypts it through a Devonthink before it goes up to the cloud. Um, you're still putting it in iCloud or Dropbox, but it is encrypted data there. So if someone gets it, I think they're going to have a real hard time figuring out what it is. Yeah, Um, (laughs) yeah. So, so, you know, there are options out there for end-to-end encryption. I think it's starting to become a thing available to consumers. I hope that, you know, the industry trends this direction. But I think right now we're at a time in history where it's not clear, you know. I mean, honestly, I think there are going to be you know governmental regulation is waking up to silicon valley and maybe they're going to uh to not like that idea and and prohibit it or maybe they will i who knows and there you know there's all these different countries that have different priorities um but what i would recommend when you're doing stuff that has sensitive data like my example of obsidian if there is end-to-end encryption i would recommend you use it
0: uh so a little bit more Uh, listener feedback. Uh, We were talking about home networking and small office networking uh, several weeks ago and we heard from uh, Listener Chip in regards to the asymmetric speeds a lot of people get. So I have a thousand megabytes down but only 60 up. Well, Listener Chip lives in Asheville, North Carolina, which is, by the way, is like one of the most beautiful places in the South. Asheville is amazing. They also have a really nice zoo. Um, he gets six megabits per second down and three hundred kilobits up.
1: Yeah, So wow.
0: everyone pray for listener Chip.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I Sorry, Chip. About it. Yeah, Chip. I don't know what to tell you. I guess that's the cost of living in something in someplace so beautiful. You know, yeah. it's like oh, it's so,
0: it's great right in the mountains. Mm, yeah, I love Asheville.
1: All right. Um, I feel dumb. We talked about settings, and I said. I don't know who would turn on the thing where it announces the time every hour. That seems dumb. And then of course, you know, a sight impaired listener wrote me and said, well, Dave, um, I can't see the menu bar. So it actually helps me. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, that's on, that's on
0: both of us because I mean, yeah. I, I sat here and listened to you say it. And I said, I said to myself, there's gotta be a reason it does it. And then I saw this email as well. And I felt like an idiot. So, uh, yeah, no, our apologies. Yeah, no.
1: <laughs> so I'm sorry. Um, but either way, uh, yeah, there are good reasons for these things to be included. In fact, this listener has, um, and I apologize, I copied the text and I didn't get your name into the the plan document. He's going, to, he said he's going to blog and how he's using AppleScript to give himself time cues and things all throughout the day. Oh, cool! Please email, email me when you do that. I will link it at Max Sparky. We'll make sure that the word gets out when you put that post up.
0: Yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to see that. Uh, I was, <laughs> I actually have a little AppleScript story real quick. All right. I had a bunch of HTML documents that I needed to bring into Devonthink. I sort of found this new repository of Apple history stuff.
1: But the all HTML
0: right. the, the file names for the HTML documents were just like 001, you know, 002. The, the website they had been on originally didn't use sort of linguistic naming for their files. Sure. I sure. thought well I can just uh, you know, put it all in a folder and tell AppleScript to you know pull the t- the page title out of the html and like rename the files and i was having a little trouble with it and then i remember that devin think just has a feature and it's rename file b- based on web page title and so i yeah. just imported them all to devin and, and told devin think to do it but yeah. i was in the script editor baby and i was close but then i bailed <laughs>
1: But anytime you can find an easier solution for that stuff like that, oh, like yeah. Hazel and Devon think are two apps that are like, yeah, brilliant at stuff like that.
0: I was reminded how um, talkative AppleScript is. You just yeah. like tell it in English words, like tell quote Safari quote. It's like this is yeah. it's so weird compared to more modern things.
1: Yeah, but I mean the idea of it was that anybody should be able to do it, and oh, yeah. um, and if you can figure it out, like I recommend every time this subject comes up. Uh, Sal Segoyan, who comes on our show occasionally, he wrote a book called Apple Script 123. And I would recommend going through that book. You'd be surprised what you can do with Apple Script. And um, it's never going to get to the iPhone and iPad. I've kind of lost hope in that. But if you work a lot on a Mac, I think we're good now. Now that they've announced um, uh, shortcuts for Mac and included Apple Script support, um, I think we're good. And, and you know, I, I think I said on this show, I feel like you need Dynamite to get AppleScript out of the Mac OS. Mm-hmm. And even if Apple wanted to pull it out, I don't think they'd want to spend the time and money to do that. So so AppleScript is still a valid thing if you want to like, do special scripting. Like Recently, I did some scripting of Apple Mail, and there's just nothing better than AppleScript for that because I wanted to get the first name of the recipient and i wanted to get the the email and the subject line and yank all that out and turn it into tasks it was like a complicated thing for the law practice and um apple there's just i don't know of any way scripting wise easier than that because apple script has the dictionary for mail and apple script is really robust and it kind of makes doing that stuff easy Uh, One other thing on AppleScript uh, related to kind of like speaking out loud is the say command. All you have to do is say, say, and then put something in quotes. Mm -hmm. And uh, anytime my family is, you know, being nice and quiet and I want to disrupt, I, uh, I open the script editor and I just have my computer start talking out loud like it's another person in the room, you know, like it's a separate entity and it gets them super annoyed, super fast, but you just say, say whatever, you know say those mashed potatoes were particularly good, but I'm not allowed to eat them because I'm a computer or something like that. Right, and I I guess it's a dad joke thing, but it it, is. it brings me no end of joy.
0: Oh, no. I used to do it uh, to my college roommate because I had a Power Mac G3, like the blue and white, under my desk, and I had it set up with some speakers. And so I would just occasionally, from my laptop, remote into it and make it talk. And then one day he got tired, just went over there and unplugged it. So I learned my lesson about pranking people
1: with the say command it'd be fun if you did it when you're not in the room like have it just randomly say at 10 p.m why are you doing that let <laughs> you know, just like just let it run you know with your roommate oh boy
0: this episode of mpu is made possible by one password go to onepassword.com mpu to sign up for a free 30-day trial with 20 percent off once you purchase We live in a complicated age. We all have countless online accounts, social media, banking, everything in between. And each one needs its own secure, unique password to keep us safe. That's where 1Password comes in. You can use it to create strong, unique passwords. And the best part is you don't have to remember them. They're all stored in 1Password, synced to all of your devices. So if you're at home, in the office, or on the go, you can log in with all of your accounts easily. With 1Password for families, you can share login information with the important people in your life. And with 1Password for teams, you can create 1Password vaults for different coworkers, managing access to critical information with fine-grained control. 1Password works across a wide range of browsers and basically any operating system you're going to come in contact with. AgileBit stays on top of the newest features, meaning that 1Password on iOS uses Face ID, and you can use Touch ID if your Mac supports that as well. It's absolutely fantastic. Even on my Mac Pro with no Touch ID, no Face ID, I can use my Apple Watch to unlock One Password. It's fantastic. So head on over to OnePassword.com/mpu to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's OnePassword.com/mpu. So David, uh, you mentioned at the top, this, uh, new Microsoft offering product, and it's basically letting you use like windows kind of remotely. And I think this is really interesting for people who may not need windows very often, or maybe they're like on an iPad or or on a M one Mac and running windows is, is tricky. So tell me about this, uh, this Windows 365.
1: Yeah, so there's, there's a, an emerging problem. I mean, historically, to run Windows on your Mac was not that difficult. You know, you could just install Bootcamp or get like Parallels or one of the third-party products and you could have your computer alternatively boot straight into Windows or you could run it at the same time. But with the transition to the M1 Mac and the Apple Silicon Because when uh, our Macs are going to no longer be running Intel chips, that, you know, solution of running Windows so easily is going away. Mm -hmm. Now, there's an argument to be made that that's temporary. Because as, you know, the the success of the Apple Silicon hits the world and people, I mean, we're hearing from new listeners who were Windows users up until six months ago and they got a 20-hour laptop with an M1 MacBook and now they're all in with Mac. So uh, there's transitions going on with people switching over because it's just so far superior to Intel that now uh, Microsoft is upping its game with the, um, with the, uh, you know, with the alternative versions of windows that they're making for alternative chipsets, including, you know, they're, they're trying to make, well, they have arm windows. And I, my understanding is that they're really turning up the gas on that. So there could be a day in the not so distant future where we run ARM Windows on a Mac. In fact, if you look at YouTube and the web, people are already figuring out how to do it, but it's not really kind of like blessed yet, right? Mm-hmm. So, with all that in mind, um, you know that may be an easy way. Or another thing you could do is, you know, spend a thousand bucks, buy a Windows laptop, and put it in the corner. You know, the 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 problem that a lot of people have for this is that they need to run an accounting program or some sort of engineering calculation program or something that's industry specific or they need for their business that just doesn't exist on Mac. And historically they've had this really easy solution and now that's going away with the arrival of the M1. The other problem is gaming, which isn't, this isn't really meant to address. But uh, so in addition to these solutions that exist or seem to be emerging, Uh, Microsoft announced Windows 365 about a month ago. And I wrote them and asked if I could have a trial account because I feel like there'll be a lot of listeners of Mac power users that may be interested in this product. And what it is, is they set up a windows computer for you in the cloud. And it's really a segment on a server. It's not like a a beige box, you know, somewhere in Cupertino. (laughs) Right. But it's effectively the same thing. And, If you subscribe to this service, um, you can, through either the web or through Microsoft's remote desktop software, set up your own virtual Windows computer, and then your Mac becomes kind of like a dumb terminal that plugs into it. So so I did that, and I've been running it for a few weeks now, and I thought I'd kind of share some thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd love to hear about this. This is a sort of a common setup in business, not necessarily having the the virtual PC in the cloud like this is, but you have terminals maybe like in a doctor's office, and they all sort of go back to one server. They're they're all instances yeah. just on the server. And in that situation, that's great because that thin client in the patient room, it doesn't have to be updated very often. It can if it's damaged or lost, you don't lose any data. And this is kind of that idea, but on steroids.
1: Yeah. And and listeners that are professional IT people are rolling their eyes because this has been going on for years, you know, and there have been other companies offering services like this, like Shadow, which I'll talk about in a minute. But um, Microsoft is now officially in the game and they've kind of and and they've had things like this in the past. But this is really something that I think would be uh, of interest to our listeners that have that accounting or engineering software or something they need to occasionally run um, I was thinking about it in terms of my law practice when I used to do more trial work there was a, an excellent application a relational database app that trial lawyers use and it's just never come over to Mac and I thought well this would be a way to run that um, so to set up all you do is you you get an account and this is it's really kind of business, Friendly, you know, usually you do it through an enterprise account, but, you know, they're kind of figuring that out as they go along. But once you get an account, you have an account email and a password, and you go to a website, and you log in, and you've got a Windows computer in your browser. Um, If you download Microsoft's free remote desktop app from the Mac App Store or the iOS App Store, it's the same thing. You put in your account um, email and your password, and you've got a PC running right there. And the setup, I you know, there's nothing easier. I've set up the you know various uh, PC on Mac situations over the years. You know, when you set up Parallels, um, I like Parallels because you can run at the same time. But one thing I always didn't like is that it seemed to like come into your system. It was more invasive than I wanted. Like. Like I would go to open a JPEG and say, well, do you want to open this in preview or do you want to open it in Windows? Well, I, I never want to open it in Windows, you know, and like you would have to deal with that kind of stuff. Or with boot camp, you were literally making a separate partition and giving yeah. up hard drive space, which
0: it was like two computers in one.
1: Yeah. And, and with SSDs being what they are and how expensive they are, sometimes giving up all that extra space for you know, running one accounting program seemed kind of ridiculous. And this eliminates all of that. You know, you're basically logging into another computer. The one I had, uh, give the one they gave me access to had, I believe, eight gigabytes of RAM and 128 gigabyte SSD attached to it. And it was fine. I mean, I ran multiple applications on it, I wrote a review on it for for Max Barky. I wrote it in Notepad on Windows, you know, just virtually through remote desktop app on my Mac, and it it's fine. It's very responsive. I do think my recent upgrade of Wi Fi and um, networking gear helps, you know, because you know a fast internet connection is critical here. Um, but with my you know really fast internet, um, I. I thought it was great. I mean, when I was typing in notepad, it didn't feel like I was typing on a computer at the other end of the internet. It felt like I was just typing on my computer.
0: That's really, that's impressive. I mean, especially with something like typing yeah. any sort of delay over the network, you're going to, you're going to actually feel it, right? Like you're pressing keys and there's a beat before they show up. Yeah. I mean, you can't write an article that way. You, you lose your mind.
1: Yeah. Now, if I lived in Asheville, North Carolina, I'm not sure it would, the experience would have been as good. No. But, <laughs> but here in SoCal, it was, it was fine. And the apps I ran on it all worked just fine. I mean, I I could go in the edge browser in windows and download software and run it. I, um, I tried uh, several applications. I, I went on YouTube and streamed 4k video and that's where I hit um, stutter like, you know, 4k video on YouTube on a virtual computer, then streamed over the internet to my house was stuttering. It wasn't like, it wasn't butter smooth. Like it would be on my own, you know, Safari installation on my local Mac. And I have a feeling that if I was, you know, had a windows install, it would have looked better. Right. Uh, It is definitely not down for gaming that machine, you know, Uh, but it depends on which machine you get, right. They have ranges and prices. The one that they let me borrow was uh, at the $41 tier. With 8 gigabytes, for 4 gigabytes, it would have been $31 per month. But they have them ranging from $20 a month up to like $160 a month. So I guess you could spec it up enough to be a gaming PC. But I think you if you wanted a gaming PC, I don't think this is the answer for you. Um,
0: No, I think the lag would. Yeah. I mean, if it's a big deal in typing. like, And you look at Stadia, and there's a bunch of different game streaming services. And they all... Sort of let people down compared to local gaming.
1: Yeah. And um, I, uh, so I asked on the forums if anybody has questions about this. And Bob Spivak, who's one of our HomeKit experts, he's even come on the show. He gave me a whole list. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to answer his questions. How is it about sorting mouse, trackpad, and all that stuff? And it's all fine. You know, it works just fine. I didn't have to install any drivers or anything, it all just worked. A uh, pencil with the iPad Pro worked as well, and I didn't really uh, dwell on that. But you can run this Windows install on your iPad, no problem. Just download the remote uh, uh, Microsoft Remote software, put your stuff in there. If you've got a keyboard attached, you're, you're typing on it just like you'd be typing on it if you were on your Mac. So that's kind of cool. The display looked fine. The visibility was fine. The graphics-intensive work—it's not up to it. I mean, it's just—I mean, this is like I said. If you need to run a special accounting program or something like that, you're good. If you're going to be editing video, this is not the answer for you. Password and login support was fine, although Microsoft wanted to like capture all my passwords with their system, and I didn't want to give it to them. It was on this loaner system. But I can install 1Password on it. I mean, 1Password for Windows exists, and that, that works fine. The connectivity was super easy. You literally just open the app, and it starts going It didn't, there's a bit of a handshake, but it didn't take that long. And um, I I just think overall, my takeaway from this stuff is it's kind of expensive. You know, if you think about it, what, $30 a month over 12 months is, uh, what, $360 a year. But that's cheaper than buying a PC. You don't really have to maintain it. You don't have to add a bunch of stuff to your Mac, uh, I think if you're one of those folks out there on M1 that needs a Windows solution, this is at least worth looking into. Maybe just buy it for a month and give it a try and see how it works for you. Um, you know, I think because so much of it is dependent on your own internet connection, you know, maybe it's not fast enough for you wherever you're at, whatever your situation is. But um, the lack of hassle makes it, I think, the price about right.
0: Yeah. And it's just, a, it's another option if you need windows uh from various places and the the ability to run it from an ipad is really interesting and you know as like the windows 11 arm stuff that's not all done yet and time will tell how that works out i think they are making progress but microsoft has had a lot of trouble getting applications running on arm versions of windows it has not been nearly as smooth for them as it has been. For Apple, and so especially if you have some sort of legacy Windows software this this may totally be the way to go,
1: yeah, I mean it's super easy to set up, and that's where app, that's where Microsoft really nails it, but it also kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of what are the other services doing this stuff, and one of the ones I discovered is that a lot of people would seem to like is called Shadow, and that one is more aimed at gamers, and that's thirty dollars a month. So I bought a month of it just to see, you know, in comparison. And it was about the same speed as the Microsoft one. I think it, you know, I just, you know, I couldn't really find any noticeable difference for the the business stuff. Except you don't really have Microsoft behind it. You know, I don't know how secure it is. Like, I'm not sure I'd put any client data on something from this company called Shadow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it really is made for gaming and i used to play a game star wars the uh the old republic um before you know the end of times i used to have this game i played and i would run it through boot camp on a mac but you know when everything got crazy i just shut all that stuff down i'm too busy taking care of the family and writing field guides and stuff now to play with that but uh, they have the game, my data was still in the game because the way that it works you could go resume your subscription if you wanted so i went and loaded it up through a shadow server and um and played it over the internet and i was surprised at how good it looked but um that's not something you could do with the microsoft offering but i really feel like shadow to me is more something that i would do with gaming than i would do with like actual work so, but there's, there's several options out there, but it is pretty cool to think about the fact that you can push a couple buttons on your Mac and spin up a PC somewhere in the world and just have it as your PC.
0: Yeah. It's, that's pretty sweet. It feels real futuristic
1: in a way. Yeah, it does. It does. The
0: the idea of, I guess, uh, like thin client computing, it just, it comes back every 15 years, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I
1: know. Well, that was the original dream, right? With the big yep. servers and cheap, you know, cheap workstations and. Uh, I don't know, but then you look at the thing that goes in your pocket and that's a really powerful computer. That's not a thin client Mm -hmm. either way. Uh, thank you, Microsoft for letting me try it out. I, um, I think that I will not be subscribing to it because I don't have any windows programs I need to run. But if I did, this would probably be the solution I'd be using at least until windows for arm gets a little further down the road.
0: Well, cool. Thanks for checking that out for us. That is, uh, it, it caught my interest immediately when I saw the headlines about it. So I'm glad you were able to spend some time with it.
1: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Setup. More than 200 powerful apps for your Mac. And if you go to the link in the show notes, you can try it free for a week. Getting things done is a challenge that everyone struggles with. One of the ways to tackle it is to make sure you have the right tools. And for your computer, that means having the right apps. SetApp is on a mission to help users get more done. With SetApp, there's no more worrying about having to search for apps to solve a problem. SetApp packs over 200 apps for your Mac and iPhone into one. That's an app for almost any task, so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started. This lets you think about your tasks and not apps. I signed up for SetApp when they first started the service, and I've been a loyal subscriber ever since. When I set up a new Mac... One of the first things I do is load up, set up, and start downloading so many applications. Right now on my Mac, I'm recording. I've got Bartender, Drop Zone, Default Folder, Clean My Mac, MindNode, Mockup Studio, PDF Squeezer, Better Touch Tool, Pathfinder, iStat Menus, hazeover, App Timer, and Jump Desktop. And that's the Mac that I just record podcasts on. It's not the Mac that I do the most work on. SetApp is awesome because it gives you access to all these applications for one set fee. And not only is it more convenient, it's also a great value because instead of paying hundreds or even thousands of dollars for separate licenses, there's just one monthly flat fee. New apps are added to SetApp regularly, Updates are free and all the apps are full featured pro versions. So head over to setapp.com to try set App free for a week. If you like it, pay just nine ninety nine per month. That's setapp.com. And we've got a link in the show notes that we'd appreciate that you follow. It'll get you that free week of trial and let them know you came from the Mac power users. Our thanks to Setapp for their support of the Mac power users and all of relay FM.
0: So it is, uh, Towards the end of August now, really, so the, the beta process for iOS 15, iPadOS 15, macOS Monterey, watchOS 8. Is it 8 this year? I don't ever run the watchOS betas, but uh, we've been in this, in this uh, time for quite a while now, really nearing the end of it. I mean, we can kind of assume that we'll see the public versions of at least some of this stuff maybe as soon as a, a month from now. And I wanted to see how it's going for you.
1: Yeah, I am still fully you know, invested in the betas. I have it on uh, my phone, my iPad, <laughs> the uh, one Mac, and my watch. So I've gone all the way in. Where, where have you got it installed at this point?
0: Uh, I've got it on my phone and iPad, and I have it on my laptop. So I am using them. Um, uh, quite a bit and uh, i definitely want to hear about your experience but mine at least in the last several weeks has been really pretty calm pretty quiet
1: yeah the stability is improving one of the issues i had was the shortcuts for mac was pretty busted with the original betas and now suddenly a bunch of pieces are starting to work together which is good i was getting worried about it but i've got shortcuts now that were running that weren't running a few weeks ago and in term i mean it's always going to suck a lot of battery life when you're going through the beta process i think that you know the there's there's a lot of reporting and things going on in beta that they they turn off before they release it to the public so the battery life is still bad but the stability has been just fine for me
0: yeah yeah same uh, shortcuts was definitely in my mind almost the outlier this year like it was by far the most broken thing i came up against and it's not surprising it's a brand new app and they're bringing a lot of technologies over and so i don't think that's going to be a long-term thing with shortcuts on the mac in fact honestly the more i use it the more excited i am the shortcuts is going to be everywhere and be available to us you know on each of our devices and you know all in all like yeah on my production machine i'm going to hold off on monterey just because you know this computer goes sideways, I got a big problem. But I think for people just kind of out there in the world, I, you know, knock on wood, I think it's going to be a pretty fairly smooth upgrade process this year. Um, I think particularly on the Mac. And that's a good thing because uh, we've had a couple of, you know, we did a whole episode about, hey, Catalina's going to destroy your, your 32-bit apps right it's been a very yeah. rocky couple of years in terms of what these upgrades bring you had the new ui which people had to contend with and so i kind of feel like the mac is heading towards maybe smoother waters at least on the os front and that's that's good
1: yeah well i do think that this year we're starting to see the payoff of the pain of the last few years you know yeah. with the way they've unified the you know swift ui and a lot of these other things they're doing they make it possible to release features for all three platforms at the same time whereas in years past that just so rarely happened and we're going to do a show on it when it releases and we're going to cover in bigger detail but i did want to just kind of check in on some of the features to see if you're using them and what your experience is thus far um, focus mode is by far my favorite new feature and I am using the heck out of it. Um, we'll, we'll get into all the details of what I'm doing with it. Cause I, the fact that this one primary Mac I have doesn't have focus mode on it kind of is the, uh, fly in the ointment right now, but I love the ability to pick an area of focus and then like shut out all the other notifications. And it's really, really powerful.
0: Yeah, so uh, I think that's something that we will probably come maybe come back to once it's available to everybody. But it sounds like in the beta, at least, you've already kind of leaned into this new functionality and are really relying on it.
1: Yeah, I, I am, and I'm looking forward to it. Apple Mail, they have this new plugin architecture, and the initial feedback I'm getting from a lot of independent developers is it's not powerful enough, and they can't do enough with it and i don't know what's going to happen with apple mail when it comes out but that's something that's on my radar right now uh getting back around to shortcuts now that it's starting to work better and i'm using it more there's some really great stuff with it i am going to do a shortcuts for mac field guide it's going to be a separate title so i'm I'm already kind of deep in that right now and I'm you know, starting to discover where the good parts and the bad parts are. And shortcuts is really good for scripting a bunch of stuff on your Mac that historically has been difficult, like contacts and some of the user data that, you know, third-party uh, automation software just doesn't get access to. So I think it's going to be an excellent tool for a lot of things that were hard before. Um, I don't think it's going to replace Apple script and keyboard Maestro and Hazel, and all the other stuff because they those tools do other things that shortcuts just doesn't even bother with and i uh i i look at it it's going to be like one more tool in the tool belt so you know we're going to have a wrench and a screwdriver and a hammer and it's going to be awesome Mm -hmm.
0: and whatever automator is a rusty shovel
1: well you know that that part is not true i i feel like this is absolutely going to replace automator oh yeah Um, The only thing, and they've even said that, but the the only problem is they haven't moved all of the automator actions over. Like one of my uh, automator um, scripts that I wrote a long time ago that I use almost every day is it inserts a watermark draft symbol behind a PDF document and they haven't got that that action sent over to shortcuts yet. So I still have to run that through automator. But all they have to do is put that one action in shortcuts and then then I, I don't need that anymore. And I feel like, Probably over the next year or two, they've got a, a checklist somewhere and they're just going to knock all that stuff out.
0: Yeah, I fully expect it's a, a multi-year thing. You know, maybe maybe next year we get the rest of those actions and they say, hey, it's deprecated. And then, you know, the year or two after that, it, it goes away completely.
1: I do wish they would follow some leads from some of the other services. Like one of them that seems like a no-brainer to me would be for shortcuts to be able to script menu bar triggers. Like you could say, you know, go in the Finder app and click on, you know, File, New, new Finder window, you know, which is something you can do easily with Keyboard Maestro and Apple Script. And that's just not there. But I mean, that, that is an automation shortcut that a lot of people, I think, would like to use because it's just a, a really easy way to, to trigger automations that when it's not written for the app already. And, you know, accessing the menu bar shouldn't be that difficult. But anyway, so I've got a couple things I'd like to see them add to it, but overall, I think it's, you know, it's on mission. It it's made to be a simple, easy-to-use shortcut um or automation tool and it's that. And um uh I I'm already daily using several shortcuts on my Mac on my uh Monterey machines.
0: This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by our friends over at Squarespace. If you've got a website to build, maybe you're working on your online presence or running a business, you should start with Squarespace because they have you covered with everything from websites to online stores to marketing tools and analytics. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile, so your content automatically adjusts so it looks great on any device. You also get free, unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support. Plus, they have tools to let you easily grab unique domain name, tune your SEO, and even handle your email marketing to help get your ideas out there. Squarespace is a fantastic place to start. I've set up a bunch of sites for people over the years. And it's great. You can just bring in content from your desktop. Again, those drag-and-drop tools make it really easy to lay out a page change the formatting, change the styling and then save it and go back to your day. So head on over to squarespace.com/mpu for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code mpu to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain name. That's squarespace.com/mpu. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code mpu to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of Mac Power users
1: Steven, what are you playing with lately?
0: I have been uh I've been very busy uh mostly playing with like tools and nailing foam to walls. Uh, but in terms of software, we' talk about software first. We've mentioned this application before. Uh Mimestream is a new mail Gmail specifically. Gmail client for Mac OS. Uh, It's written uh, by uh, this person who was at Apple, and it only works with Gmail, but it uses all of Gmail's like kind of oddball features that kind of go beyond regular IMAP. Super fast, really lightweight, looks really nice. And I have been checking in on it every couple of months. The thing that kept me from using it full-time was a lack of printing, you know, it's was an early kind of open beta and just printing hadn't been added. And I opened it the other day and turns out printing is now there. And so now I can, I, a lot of what I've got to do with, with mail at doing relay administration in particular is creating PDFs of messages that have receipts in them. And then, you know, attaching those to expenses in our invoicing and, you know, as sort of our financial s- software. And so can't do that if I can't make it. PDF or I can't print it and make a PDF from there. And so that's been added. And so it's been my uh, main mail application now for a couple of weeks. And there are definitely some things that are different than mail that I don't like quite as much, but overall uh, it's a great alternative. Now you got to be using Gmail or, you know, G suite accounts. And I am all three of mine are, are hosted by Google And if you're in that world and you just want something that feels a lot leaner and cleaner than mail and you like things that Gmail does like multiple labels and you can even change. I love this feature. You can change the shortcut set MimeStream responds to between Apple Mail uh, and Gmail. And so you can say, you know, I'm used to command shift D. So mine are set to the mail shortcuts because that's what I'm used to. Uh, Or you can use Gmail's kind of shortcut uh, system. And it's, yeah, it's, it's great. And is wildly faster than mail at checking and archiving everything you do. MimeStream seems to do instantly.
1: Yeah. I've just, as much as I like Apple mail and view, I mean, boy, that was a loaded statement. I mean, there's things (laughs) I really like about Apple mail, like the stability and things, but there's things I, I really don't like about it, but I've never felt like it was the right solution for Gmail because it's like, um, you know the Hatfields and the McCoys you know trying to make an email app together, and you just inevitably have problems when there's updates to one or the other so I'm glad you found a solution and I used to recommend people just do Gmail on the web because that's really what the environment it's meant for but this I've heard so many people speaking highly of this mime stream, and I don't use any Gmail for my mail, so I don't really have the ability to use it but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that it's it's panning out.
0: Yeah, it's been a very impressive thing to watch this application kind of spring to life uh, as he's added features. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, something that we've mentioned before, but if you haven't checked it out in a while and you were kind of waiting to see what it would do, I think it's a great time to check it out again.
1: Yeah. And the other thing you're doing is you have increased your studio space recently.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about this on more power users, but I've... uh, a little more than doubled my studio space at home and the construction is all done. The final painting is finished. Everything is done. And so I've been slowly working on kind of where things are going to go and preparing the space. You know, when you have just an empty room, you can't really record audio in that room because it sounds really bad. And so I've slowly been just sort of chipping away at a lot of those tasks at, you know, buying some more acoustic foam and getting that figured out. And, Uh, I bought a desk, and I'm going to end up moving my setup to the new side, uh, the new side of the studio. Uh, But this is all coinciding with my Kickstarter production. So that closed several weeks ago and working with printers and everything and getting things in. And so it's also going to be Kickstarter shipping HQ. And so also getting it ready for that. So I'm spending a couple hours a day. The last couple of weeks, I feel like kind of Figuring out where things are gonna go, making measurements. I got some shelves in, and slowly uh, taking shape. I won't. It won't be fully. It won't be a fully operational Death Star until the Kickstarter shipping is complete. But uh, I'm looking forward to that more and more. I'm really, really excited about it. Really happy I could do it.
1: If I live closer to you, I would totally come to your house and Marie Kondo that for you. I would totally put it together.
0: <laughs> well, I did buy some desk accessories the other night. Uh, that you told me to get, so I'm excited about that too.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Well, I want to hear more about that as you as you work on it. Uh, a couple things in my life is I have uh, refound my love for Swift playgrounds. Okay. Um you know, just with the uh, WWDC, got me thinking again. You know, Swift playgrounds has really grown into something over the years, and it is kind of a game. It's like a logic game, at it's most root level. I know Even you kind of learn programming along the way, but I've been using it kind of as my little time killer lately. And I just started it over again because I had got pretty far in it at one point, but you know, you forget this stuff. So I've been going through Swift playgrounds. I've got it on, they've got it on all platforms, but I've been mainly doing it on my iPad, my, my phone, but you write little bits of code and then your little guy jumps around and pushes buttons and things. And it's free. I think it's kind of fun in a way to like exercise my brain when I want to have some downtime. But it's also accessible to kids if you got kids in your life. Um, and I just wanted to like give a shout out there to uh, Swift Playgrounds if you haven't tried it lately. They also have all these cool modules you can plug into it. But you know, I'm just working my way through. The other thing that happened in my life is my daughter gave me her puppy dog eyes and asked for my clicky keyboard, and I gave it to her because that's <laughs> what you do when your daughter asks you for anything. Uh, so I don't have a clicky keyboard anymore. So I, I got my uh, Apple um, keyboard out again, but it's the full-size one. It's wireless Bluetooth but it's the full size keyboard with the number pad. And I just kind of forgot how much I like having a number pad on a keyboard, you know, (laughs) and the uh, not only is it great for entering numbers and, you know, um, you know, two factor authentication numbers and doing calculations, but it's also just a great scripting platform. I still love my stream deck, but I uh, also like having a bunch of keys on the right side of my keyboard that I can attach to scripts. So, I've gone through with Keyboard Maestro, and a lot of my app-specific scripts I've now also attached to buttons on the keypad. For instance, I wrote these cool little Apple scripts that allow me to change the deferred date of an OmniFocus task to you know, like one day, two days, seven days, whatever. And if I'm in OmniFocus and I just hit one, the selected task you know jumps to a deferred date of tomorrow. And if I'm in Mail, uh, the one key puts any personal email my personal action folder the two key puts any mail in my max sparky action folder and the three key puts an email in my um my sparks law action folder so going through mail no matter what source it is and just hitting that one two or three automatically sorts mail for me just you know i've just been using the um the keypad more as a scripting launch pad and it's a pretty smart way to do it
0: yeah that's that's clever that's really clever now is this the one with the the Touch ID button, or is it the older one?
1: I I just bought the Touch ID one, man. There you go. Just came in. I mean, I I so I was using the the iMac Pro one with it for you know this is this has been going on for a month or two since I gave the keyboard to my daughter, but the um but when it came out, I said, well, i am got to try that too. So I guess I should report in on that. Uh, isn't it funny how I get, I get kind of embarrassed sometimes when I like spend extra money on my stuff, <laughs> but the, uh, but yeah, I bought the touch ID one. I did that. Uh, it's kind of weird because I'm so used to it on my laptop. It's super useful for like it, uh, approving things as opposed to watch. I actually find the watch, um, ID or watch unlock faster for sitting down at your Mac and getting started. You know, because you literally are not doing anything. You just sit down and it unlocks. Yeah. Whereas once you enable Touch ID, it it defaults to Touch ID. So it's actually a little slower to unlock your Mac. But once you get rolling, having Touch ID is way better than unlocking by double tapping on your watch. And um, so I think overall it's a win.
0: Yeah, I bought uh, my wife, Mary, the compact one she uses a macbook air she uses it in clamshell mode with the lg 4k display yeah and she has loved it i mean uh, a lot of times you upgrade a family member they're like oh thanks but this time she's like yeah this is awesome uh because she never really got the hang of the apple watch thing and i mean she wears one but like far as like the double tapping to unlock and i think she found it frustrating that when she used her laptop she had touch id except when she used it at her desk yeah. And so she's really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to uh to the day I can I can do this on a on a desktop because this only works with Apple Silicon Macs. So the keyboard will work with an Intel Mac, but the Touch ID requires Apple Silicon.
1: Yeah, Another thing, I'm not sure that I haven't seen it written anywhere, but with that Touch ID button, if you just fully press the button in, it locks the computer. So that's another nice feature is you're stepping away, you just press one key and your computer locks.
0: Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I think on the new Magic Keyboard with no Touch ID, it used to have an eject button next to F13. Like that's what mine does. Mine has an eject button. Yeah. And the new ones have that lock button. So they have brought that even to the, keyboards for that work with the Intel Mac so you can just hit tap that button and lock your Mac and and walk away and that's fantastic especially if you're using it in some place like a like an office or you know other people around just knowing that you can tap a button and you're all set and then you can log back in with your watch or touch ID that's that's pretty cool
1: yeah and i don't particularly miss the clicky keyboard i've always been uh, what i call keyboard agnostic i can type on pretty much anything you stick in front of me and it's a different feel but it's it's fine and i type fine on it and but but having a number pad i would recommend if you've got one on your existing computer and you're not fully using it think about it like uh, we had a sponsor today set up one of the apps there's better touch tool and one of the things you can do with better touch tool is you can contextually click through automation like one of the problems i had was with my samebox account i have um I want to save a message to like two days. I have like a saying two days folder. So it puts a message and I don't see it for two days. But there's really not a way to automate that in Apple Mail because you can only select up to nine folders as your, as your favorites that you can use keyboard shortcuts to get into. But you can right click on it and say move to And then put it into the two days folder in the Max Parky account, right? So what I did was I connected those in Better Touch Tool to a keyboard shortcut using the keypad. And then I just programmed in those contextual clicks with Better Touch Tool. And now I can do all my moving of messages, not only to my action folder, but also to those other folders uh, using the keypad, which is pretty convenient. Was that a rabbit hole? Did I go too far down? That was
0: fantastic. That's that's what feedback episodes are for sometimes.
1: All right. Well, there you go. There you go. Maybe I'll I'll write a blog post on some of this. If you guys want me to explain it further, let me know. I'll, I'll put a blog post up. Perfect.
0: This episode of MPU is also made possible by Top 4 from Relay FM. Top 4 is a monthly show about opinions, lists, and loosely held rules. From music to milk, Pringles to woodland creatures... Hosts Tiff and Marco Armit can make a top four list out of anything. It's going to make you delightfully furious. Top four is fantastic. And you can start listening with any episode. You don't need any context. So pick your favorite out of instant coffee, card games, TV couples, Pop-Tart flavors, hot or cold Starbucks drinks. Nothing is off limits for top four. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search for top four. We'll go to relay.fm slash top four. Have fun.
1: Well, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. We love your feedback as we just proved with this show. Even when you tell us we're dumb, we'll share it because sometimes we are kind of dumb. We want to thank our sponsors today, and that's the folks over at 1Password Setup and Squarespace. Uh, If you want to join in the forums, they're over at talk.macpowerusers.com.